Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Mary Holland, an actor and screenwriter you may have seen on Veep, Blunt Talk, and Homecoming, among other things, or heard in animated programs like Animals, Hoops, Harley Quinn, and a dozen more. Last Christmas, she popped as Mackenzie Davis's gleefully weird sister in Happiest Season, which Mary co-wrote with director Clea Duvall, and in the new comedy Golden Arm, which just arrived on VOD platforms across America, she plays a baker recruited into the high-stakes world of professional arm wrestling by her trucker pal Betsy Sidaro. It's also gleefully weird. You should check it out. Mary picked Drop Dead Gorgeous, Michael Patrick Jan's 1999 mockumentary about a beauty pageant in a small Minnesota town where the teenage candidates for the Sarah Rose Cosmetics Mount Rose American Teen Princess pageant are bright, beaming, and being picked off one at a time. Kirsten Dunst, Denise Richards, Brittany Murphy, Amy Adams, and Sarah Stewart are among the contestants doing their best to keep smiling as the body count takes upward. Allison Janney, Ellen Barkin, Kirstie Alley, Sam McMurray, and Mindy Sterling are some of their parents and mentor figures. Will Sasso's in there, too, and, well, that's a bit of a problem. We'll deal with it. This is someone else's movie. I think that was one of the first um, mockumentary-style comedies I ever saw. Um, It was really... It was like no other movie I had ever seen. I feel like I watched it when I was, I want to say like, when did it come out? Tell me when it came out. Uh, 99. 99. Okay. Okay. Yes. So I saw when I was 14 and um, I had just never seen a comedy like that. It really, it really uh, struck me. It's, it's incredibly funny and it really is um, very satirical, very, uh, the characters are amazing. And the the thing I think that that because I, I hadn't I had never seen Waiting for Guffman, I'd never seen any of the Christopher Guest mockumentaries. And right. so the thing that struck me so much about Drop Dead Gorgeous that I was like, this is genius, is all the characters, the specificity of all the characters and then their relationship to the camera, to the camera crew. I thought was it just added a whole nother layer to the comedy that blew my mind. Yeah, I could absolutely see people who are figuring themselves out as performers and and people with a comic perspective just jumping on something like this. Yeah. Because it wasn't like it wasn't particularly original for the moment. There had been other projects like it, but there is something so specific about the character work and and so like I hadn't. I had not revisited it since 1999. Ooh. This was the first time I've encountered it in 22 years, or re-encountered it. And I didn't much care for it at the time. I dug up my old review, and it's like, oh, I think my biggest problem was that it was kind of mean-spirited, which, right, it is. It, it, but- it is, and there are definitely some parts of it that are um, incredibly problematic. Yeah, that, um, that yes. stuff has not dated well. But, no, it has not. Yeah, but what's amazing is just the sheer. Like it's, it's crammed with talent and, and you look at certain pieces of it and you can see not just other filmmakers, but the actors themselves going on to use those pieces somewhere else. Like Alison Janney won an Oscar for the same role that she plays here. It's just put in a different context in, in in the other film. The the cast is incredible. I, I, I mean, that, that started my lifelong, um, love for Amy Adams. I think she is so brilliant in this. Um, Allison Janney, um, the, uh, Kirstie Alley does some great work. Yeah, like it's, yeah. it, there's just, 
it's they're very specific characters and it takes place in such a specific community. I loved also like the the uh, supporting characters that would come in, like the librarian who would sort of give a history about Mount Rose and and the things that, you know, the traditions there and would give definitions whenever we needed them in the movie. Um, and the, just the whole idea of the the beauty pageant uh, the world of beauty pageants in small town America is just very, very fascinating. And um, I, I do feel like there's uh, a lot of elements to it that were super satirical and like, uh, you know, a commentary on this, <laughs> this institution, but, um, but yeah, it, it, I saw it, I had just never seen anything like it. And so, I rewatched it recently and I agree with you that there's a lot of, you know, and that's true of a lot of comedies in the nineties that did not age well. Um, But, but even the first few moments of like getting into the movie, I think is so fun with the, like the informational uh, video that plays the host and he's, he is so funny and the, that just pulls you in immediately like his his sort of grinning smarminess and you just know right away the world you're stepping into is so clear i loved it yeah and then it comes back later on with the the revelation that someone's roommate did adam west quote did adam west unquote <laughs> did adam west <laughs> but the, the contrast of the yeah the enthusiasm the innocence of the of the pageanteers of the contestants and the exploitation that's going on all around them. Yes. That really stood out to me this time. Like it's much savvier about that than I gave it credit it for is. the first time. I agree. I agree. And the the contestants too, as you said, their enthusiasm and how how different their ways into the pageant are. Yeah. Uh, and their different reasons for doing it. It's just every character is so clear. Yeah. And the casting is... I'd forgotten Amy Adams was in it. I mean, just like, oh my God, that's her. And she doesn't even look like Amy Adams as we have come to know know. her, right? She's, I'm assuming she starved herself for for the part or something because she just looks (laughs) so gaunt and- I know, so skinny. Yeah, she's not unfit, unhealthy, but it's just such a different look from what her body naturally will do. Right, right. Um, I I loved so much this character that she played who just was, I mean- you think of Amy Adams and you think of her in Enchanted or, you know, um, doing her, the her character work where she plays more buoyant characters and more mm-hmm. um, sort of peppy, bouncy characters. This is the peppiest and the bounciest <laughs> of them all. And she, she, her, <laughs> the, the image that keeps playing in my mind is, is her when the documentary crew is backstage at the, <laughs> the pageant and she like, struts by in her underwear and like waves so excitedly at the cameras, but she's like almost totally nude. (laughs) Um, the, her joy is just so infectious. It just like comes through the screen and grabs you as a viewer. It's so funny. Yeah. The same thing happens in June bug, right? Like they found that quality of her and just, I love June bug. And I I remember, and I remember at the time people were saying, who is this incredible discovery? And it's just like, well, she's been around forever. She was on the office. And then it turns out, oh no, she was there too. She was in this as well. And somehow, like, I don't know if it's her instinct as an actor, but she's 
gracious and she never pulls focus from the main story. Like she just knows yeah. she's there to pop in every moment, but yeah. never dominate. It's really like, it's a really interesting performance for any, well, this a film, this, this loose and, and unstructured. Yeah, absolutely. That that's such a great point. She's so she, she's such a brilliant actor and so deft at navigating that, uh, understanding her role in the story. And um, it's so good. <laughs> I'm just marveling about Amy Adams. Well, I love Amy Adams. We can do that. We can turn this into an Amy Adams podcast. <laughs> that I really, would be great. I do not mind. Um, one of those fascinating actors who is constantly doing. Like she's almost always better than the thing she's in, even when she's in great things. Yeah. Um, and and that that was like again, she's been doing it for twenty two years. It's always been there, which is such a strange quality to to notice in a in someone who keeps getting packaged as a leading actor as a movie star. For but she's, sure. she's like she's a remarkable ensemble player. She's a trooper. You know, another movie I saw her in because after I saw Drop to Gorgeous, I was like, I gotta see every other movie she did. <laughs> um, Cruel Intentions too. I don't know I, if you I don't know that knew she, this. I mean, I don't know that I knew that she was in it. I definitely haven't seen it. Was that the one that was produced for like a TV pilot that never happened? I don't know. Because um, there was a I bunch of that the, in, in 2000-ish. They were repackaging a lot of stuff that they tried to make cable shows out of. Right. That that might be what happened. Um, Manchester but she, Prep? She plays, yeah. she plays like... Uh, I don't. I don't even remember any part of the plot beyond like she's a she's a real bad girl. She's like Sarah Michelle Gellar's character. Okay, times ten thousand, and uh, <laughs> it is a very surprising turn. But she's still amazing in it. It's like not a great movie, but <laughs> she's fantastic in it. Oh wow! I would have um, picked her. I, like I would have pegged her for the Selma Blair role, like the innocent no, who she gets plays corrupted. It. She plays the e. That's just how brilliant she is. <laughs> She plays the evil, the evil manipulator. She's so good in it, um, but it it is a wild movie. If you if you ever like, I want to see what that's all about. I I recommend uh, taking a peek. Well, for the purposes of Amy Adams' completism, I think I have to. <laughs> and then we can also pivot. Speaking of manipulators, there's the thing that De- Denise Richards is doing, which is not exactly evil, but so banal and blank. Like that's again, like Starship Troopers, it's it's evidence that she could be great if they find a context, if the filmmaker finds a context for her and yes. uses certain qualities and limitations. That's a good performance from Denise Richards, yes. who, was, who was getting a lot of flack at that time for the Bond movie she'd just made. Right, right. I think, I think she's uh, awesome in this. And I agree <laughs> with you that she's, She's uh, framed in such a way and is like uh, supported in the context and in the characters that surround her where she really her her role as like the antagonist or the the evil one in the story, her and her mother. Yeah. Um, it really stands out also in stark contrast to the how nice everyone is around them. Like they they're they could almost just be mildly biting and still come off as like evil. You know what I mean? In this community, because everybody is so Midwestern and and nice and, you know, polite and, um, and Denise Richards like has none of that about her. She's, she's so um, cold and ambitious. Yeah. Very funny. There's that great moment of commentary within the film where, well, you know, um, 
where it's, and of course it's Thomas Lennon's voice, which is even better. And just this oh, great, yeah. this great dry voice of the documentarian at one point saying, well, you know, Brett's dead. He was shot in the head and she's just polishing this gun and going, oh yeah. And just absolutely. Well, you know, hunting season. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's really, you got to be careful out there. And then she just smiles. Dead eyed <laughs> smile. Yeah. It's great. I know. She plays a great sociopath. She does. And, and you got to give her credit. It's, it's again, it's one of those things that I think I blew past the first time just because it seemed like a really obvious joke. But of course, it seems that way because the way, because the film is structured it that way and that we're supposed to know. It's like it's on the nose for a reason. And right. then there's all the other subtle stuff going on with Amber's sweetness and, and that. I think it's the scene just before it where she has that great line about how you're not supposed to sneak up on the living at a funeral home. Like just the phrasing of that is so clever. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, the I looked up the writer of this screenplay because I was like, the, this, there's so many clever, great jokes in this movie. Um, and I was sad to see that, th- that there hasn't been, or at least not that I've, that I could find more that she's that she's done because uh, I really think that this was such a um, it, such an amazing comedic uh, you know intro into the the movie world and then I I feel like I never saw anything else that she did but um, but yeah Kirsten Dunst's character is so phenomenal her working in the morgue or it, it, not in the morgue but the funeral home funeral party is like very such a great way to have her be personally uh, to watch her like intimate personal reaction to her friends as they get murdered. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a great running yeah. gag, isn't it? Yeah. And, and her ability to be chipper and unflappable and just genuinely warm hearted, I guess. Yeah. Kind hearted to the point where, again, one of the last things in the film is that she just happens to be somewhere where, a reporter gets shot during a siege and she picks up the mic and that's her career now. And I, I don't know that the film is opposed to that. I, I, I'm still trying to read this. Like, is it a final, it is a weird final cruelty that this, the reporter who gets shot is um, never like clearly just killed for the, for the convenience right. of the story. But, <laughs> right. but Amber, again, like she just rolls into things. And I was trying to figure out if it's some kind of weird commentary on privilege because she's a, an attractive blonde White, White girl woman, in 1999 yes. In, in yes, Minnesota. In Minnesota, but, yeah. But also, she's not not deserving of everything that happens because of her attitude and because of her like she genuinely seems to be a nice person who right. is also good at things. Like she's talented right. enough that she can do the, the stuff that she falls into. And wants to be a, um, like Diane Sawyer's is her yeah. her hero. Like wants to be a news a reporter and so seizes that opportunity. But I think you're t- it's it's very true that that I mean this story is incredibly, uh, you know, all about white privilege. I feel yeah, like. <laughs> I just don't know that the movie knows it, which is so fascinating. Right, because it's the, right. the period of the time where you could just say, well, the reason we don't have people of color in this movie is because it's set in Minnesota, which is yeah. you know, a good defense for 1999. Right. And it's, it's, it's ire is really more aimed at the mentally challenged, which again, Will Sasso goes for it and he's doing yeah. what, what they asked him to do. And I, it's just, it's one of those things where every now and then you're, you just run into this wall of, oh yeah, no, movies used to be so much worse. Absolutely. And, and have no, 
no awareness and no like making jokes at the expense of of uh, people and experiences that are just so not thought through at all or considered or at like in any way, like there are so many parts of this movie that I feel like the comedy is uh, really smart and really nuanced and surprising and, and interesting. And like, I see the social commentary of it. And then there are other elements of it that are like, Oh my gosh, you just completely dropped the ball on bringing that same level of like, intelligence and um uh awareness that you brought to the other parts of the script like that it just totally was like well that happened <laughs> yeah the, the one yeah. downside to this podcast is that every now and then someone picks a, a movie they love while also knowing that it's problematic uh, yeah. and you just have to like you have to push through it, which is fine. Cause you know, I think in some cases it's worth it. And in others, you, the, the conversation, the, like the engagement is the interesting part to find out right. why people, but you know, people love what they love because of when they saw it and because the impulse is there to defend certain things that have changed, like, you know, have, mm-hmm. have acquired a new context or revealed their original context. I'm, I'm also thinking about the way the movie handles deafness, which is simultaneously mm-hmm. compassionate and weirdly not. Right, right. Like Brittany Murphy is signing and and doing right. things, and then there's another joke about a different character who gets hit on the head and loses her hearing, and she's happy because she already knows how to sign. And it's just this weird collision of good intentions and a quick yeah. joke, right? Yeah, yeah. The the quick joke thing is uh is a real problem <laughs> in it. Um, yeah, I. I I think this this movie really stood out to me at the time when I was when I was young and then still it I I think of it as far as the the format of the storytelling and the cast that was in it and the the interview like the format of mockumentary all of that was really mind-blowing to me I had it was just so so uh new as far as like my experience of movies and then you know growing up and and understanding more about the world I feel like also at that time as a as like a, a a straight white woman who you know comes from so much privilege uh those jokes at the time like didn't even like they didn't affect me in the way they do now where I'm able to see that and be like, that is not funny. Yeah. No. And, and I'm not trying to make you defend the film. In that no, way. no, no, no. I, I wanna, know. Yeah. It always <laughs> no. feels like you're forcing people into a corner just by addressing stuff, but, but <laughs> not at other, all, but, but the structure of it is like, it's not the problem. It's the way I understand how they thought they were getting to the joke, right? The, the mockumentary aspect, like the, the, one of my favorite gags in the film is based on cruelty. And I have to, you know, like I have to reconcile that it's the, it's the shot of Sasso stuck his overall stuck on the rearview mirror and flailing while the super comes up on screen and says like, it's the policy of this film to be objective and not help the subject. And that is really funny from the perspective of the entitled idiot that made the movie. Like you, you have to understand the process of, of filmmaking to get that joke the way they yeah. intended it. But it's just to go all that way to that bit is like, it's a great punchline. Right, right. Right. 
I mean, I, I think the how they summed up a lot of the uh, because that was towards the end, right? That's yeah. like yeah, it's towards like the, twenty yeah. minutes before the end. Yes, I feel like how they wrapped up a lot of the the characters' stories and you know gave that kind of and we check in with this character and this thing happened and we check in with this character and this thing happened. Um, yeah, there's a lot of really funny looks into like like getting to know the documentary crew yeah. um and i feel like you you get that the most with alice and janney's character because she's like actively flirting with them <laughs> the entire movie which is such a funny joke um but getting to see their their point of view a little bit i thought was really fun because like thinking about something like the office which is you know um a mockumentary TV show when, when they started bringing, like introducing us to the documentary film crew and we started being aware of them in a way we weren't for like eight seasons of yeah. the show or something. Um, you, I think that the, that's always like a little uh, tricky to manage where it feels like the, the documentary crew is um kind of seamlessly woven in with the story and it doesn't feel abrupt, but it, it, I feel like they do that in this movie where you, not that we ever see them in person, but you kind of, you sort of feel their presence and understand their point of view. Um, yeah. I think yeah, that's it, a very cool thing. It makes you appreciate the movie's understanding of editing to yeah. make points just the same way with, you know, Denise Richards cleaning her gun makes a point based yeah. on where it's inserted. And, and we just get the sense of, who the filmmakers are rooting for, which again is, yeah, I guess that's the thing that surprises me the most rewatching it is how much respect it has for the viewer's intelligence to be able to mm -hmm. figure out the rhythms and, and what it's really doing. And again, I shouldn't be surprised because it's from Michael Patrick Jan, who was with the state and like they were doing this stuff at the same time. And maybe, like, maybe it was just me dismissing it the first time through because it's about teenage girls. And therefore it felt like I was being, encouraged to like it it kind of feels like it's punching down but it's punching down mm -hmm. at the culture rather than the characters or at least mm -hmm. the, the pageantry yes yes um and there there definitely are elements of it where it, it is punching down and it is mean-spirited um but but i agree with you that i i feel like overall the most the it mostly feels like it's poking fun at this this institution and the the people in this small town that are you know orbiting it and and um and supporting it and maybe using it to like uh achieve their own their own means i mean i think about the the um becky oh gosh what's her last her family's last name becky uh <sighs> oh um it's not lehman it's uh... Le yeah i think it is lehman Right? Oh, it is. Yeah, Becky, Rebecca, and Lehman. Yes. Yeah, like her, her family being like her dad, you know, selling used furniture or not used furniture, but a furniture salesman who is just an awful, awful person and treats his staff horribly and is clearly like ripping people off. Like there's a. I do feel like even though I, th this I think is really fascinating about mockumentaries is when uh, a character is so confident and like uh, feels so like they're like 
expressing to the camera, like, look at what I'm doing. Aren't I great? And the, but what the viewer, the viewer is experiencing that character being totally skewered for being an awful person, but the a character has no awareness of like, as they're talking to the camera, they're like, I'm the best and this is great. But the viewer is having a totally different experience of them. I think that's a really fascinating uh, thing you're able to do with mockumentaries. Yeah. Well, that's the David Brent effect, right? Like Ricky Gervais basically yes. patented yes. that in the office. Right, being, right. And I think if we'd spent more time with him, it would have been unwatchable like the fact that that was only two seasons <laughs> yeah <laughs> we just don't have to watch this guy anymore yeah yeah yes and, um, and with the american version they actually had to make michael more sympathetic and because steve carell's charisma comes out and like, his sweetness comes out and they readjust like I, I really wonder i mean could you do something i was gonna say could you do something with the beauty pageant and follow it over the course of a, of a television series but of course that's reality TV. Like we live in this world now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I I don't watch, I, I watched one season of The Bachelor. Um, I like, I haven't watched very much of it, but I, I think that the, the people love that show or follow that show. I think, you know, the, the reality element of, there is a, a a sort of beauty pageant element to that. Um, but then it's also, there's, it takes itself very seriously, <laughs> <laughs> which I think that's what we like in thinking of, Oh, what would a TV show version of this look like? I think the reality shows that do exist that sort of feel like they're in this world feel like very, very serious or very, Ernest, at least they're they're not trying to be funny. I mean, did you ever see Burning Love? Oh yes, of course. The with Ken Marino. Yes, yes. That is. I feel like that they did a great job of um, of kind of taking that same idea of of that beauty pageant world or that sort of uh, competition, taking that to the the TV space. Yeah. yeah, making a comedy out of it. It's really funny. Yeah, but it's, again, it's it's one that works when we understand, like, the personality templates that they've built for these shows and the way the editing works and the way the program yeah. teaches us how to view the characters. Drop right. Dead Gorgeous doesn't quite do that because it's working in a different, like, the whole formula is different because it's yeah supposed to be a commentary yet also kind of like some of them. And you yeah. know, like the, if the filmmakers are on their side, then obviously we're going to like them too. That and I just I wonder. Yeah, I'm. I would love to see what this looked like on the page and what changed during. The I shoot, would right? be so curious. I agree with you. I'm very curious about what 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 it was on the page and then how that shifted in the in the making of it. Because it just feels like there is. So much talent. I mean, we haven't even talked about Ellen Barkin yet, who just, again, given an almost impossible character to play as a human being, she finds a way. She she just makes it that that weird little moment where she's struggling to open her beer with. I know. (laughs) And it's not like it's somehow everybody in that scene is right. Like everybody, everybody is playing the right note there. Like Janie says, why don't you just use your other hand? Barkin's like, nope, they told me I had to learn and she's committing to it. Yes. And, and Dunst is just sort of sweetly concerned in the corner. There's like, that's such an 
odd moment to get to, but by the time we do like what, 80 minutes in, we know where everybody's coming from. Yeah. And I, I also think that Ellen Barkin does such a beautiful job with this, with this mother character because Amber is so sweet and, you know, she's our, she's our protagonist in the movie and we're like cheering for her the whole time. Mm -hmm. And you could easily like, I think that one could easily play this mother as very kind of negligent in a way. And so much of like a child herself that we don't get the relationship between her and Amber, but there's, there's Ellen brings this wonderful, like kind of harsh sweetness to the character where you, you get, you understand like how much she loves her daughter. Um, and how Amber taking care of her and like getting her cigarettes and all of that, that it, it kind of it works. It's like a, a, they have a good relationship with each other. Um, yeah. It, they're always coming towards each other from a good place, which is very sweet. They're, yes. they're not like, it's not like they're codependent. They're just good at enabling the best things for each other. They want each other to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I really love the relationship too between Alice and Janney and Kirsten Dunn's character. Um, yeah. that's a that's a that always uh lights me up because I I Alice and Janney is just she's such a caretaker and uh and is so uh, she's just so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um it's the pragmatic thing, right? Like yeah. where even at the very end, you know, you're a good person and good things happen to good people. Really? No. She just <laughs> She says the right things, but she knows it's bullshit and she can't keep herself from admitting it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And one thing that I think is, is it's like layered in there, but we do, you don't really dig too much into it is the relationship, the, of that generation of like, um, uh, like Annette and Loretta. Yeah. Annette and Loretta and, uh, Gladys, yes. You, like, you know, they, they went to high school together. They competed in the, like, they did the beauty pageant together. And it's just sort of hinted at how much they all hate each other, but you yeah. don't really get into it. Um, but it feels like a very old, uh, they have a real history with each other. Yeah. It's that small town thing, right? Where yes. you're never not the person you were in high school because you never got to go away and be someone else. Yeah, that's why I think like uh, comedies that are set in small towns are just they're just so rich because of those relationships being so complicated and um and involved uh and things that you know to an outsider feel so low stakes to the people who are in the that town it's so high stakes like this the Mount Rose beauty competition is like the thing um so that's all yes. they have like, yeah that's that's their world that's what they've yeah. let their world become mm-hmm. given the way that this movie has been sort of rediscovered it went away for a while new line mm-hmm. let it go out of print and now it's back on apparently hbo max has it um oh, and has released yeah. it into the world in hd for the first time like it <laughs> people were talking about it when it happened which really surprised me it's like really people care that much about drop dead gorgeous but Clearly, it's like it's built up a following right. of all these people who watched it on cable in the early 2000s and right. literally grew up with it, yourself included, right. I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. I wonder if Dunst would do a sequel. Like, I would love to know what Amber's doing. I would love to know. I, I Kirsten Dunst, 
I mean, she has such excellent taste uh, in the things that she does. I just watched her in um, On Becoming a God in, in Central Florida. That was a really interesting choice for her. Yeah. Really interesting choice. I, yes. And and Fargo and it, like she, she just does um, cool things. I think she's got, I think she's got really, uh, a good taste in in the things that she does. So I, I would, I would love to know if she would be open to that and, and seeing, you know, seeing the story continue and, you know, approach it in a different way than it was the first time. Yeah. I assume she's a governor or something. She's, <laughs> she's yes. just, she's failed upwards or succeeded yes. upwards or been in the right place at the right time upwards. I don't even know how you describe it. Cause it's not the Peter <laughs> principle. She's capable. Yeah. She would actually be trying to do something. Right. Oh, I, I yes. I could totally see her becoming a politician. Um, yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. Curious if that's something people would want to do. I want to see that too. But I, I also, I don't want to let this go without asking you about your own approach to to screenwriting as well as performing. Because I, the, the thing that I've wanted to ask you about Happiest Season ever since I mm-hmm. saw it is like it was it was promoted as the big comedy, like a big gay romantic comedy set in the holidays. Mm-hmm. And, and it is sort of all of that. But what struck me watching it was that it's really a story about the tragedy of not being able to come out, like to, to not mm-hmm. be able to be who you are. Uh, and the way that Mackenzie Davis's character reverts to the teenager, like the the yes. closeted, unhappy teenager, she was, it felt like some some of the audience reception missed that, and I was just it seemed so right. clear to me. And and as with Drop Dead Gorgeous, I've been thinking about this in this context because I missed its point in '99. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I did. Is it just that I don't know? People aren't ready to see a movie like that as more than one thing, right? I mean, I think that. Uh, uh, there's one thing that like Clea and I in, in the writing of it. And, you know, th- this is um, an idea that Clea had for years and, and wanted to um, make a movie that, that uh, represented her experience. And um, I think the, what we wanted to bring to the table in the context of like a, a fun holiday movie that's a comedy, that's a rom-com that has all these these elements to it that you expect in a, a genre movie like that. But that also really does, doesn't shy away from the reality of how difficult the coming out process can be. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I in understanding and and hearing people's uh, reactions to it and um, feelings about it. I think that there was, uh, there is a real appetite for joyful content that like represents the, 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 the gay experience as one of um, uh a joyful, celebratory, fun comedy. That's a Christmas movie. I think a lot of people really wanted that. And I, I, I hope we were able to give them that, but I, at the same time, you know, I, I think that there's a, the, the heart of the story is, is based on um, personal experiences and wanting to also have others feel seen by that. And not shy away from it. I mean, I, I, 
I my hope for happiest season is the the people who who did not respond to that element or didn't understand it or didn't um, upon the the first few watchings of it that that didn't register with them. I I hope that in subsequent viewings of it, it that does come across because I think it's just so. Clea does such a beautiful, beautiful job. And Mackenzie, my God, her performance is so incredible. But like navigating that and and showing the truth of that. And as you, I mean, I'm I'm so glad that you also uh, caught on to this this regression that happens with Mackenzie's character, where like she starts dressing differently, she starts behaving differently, she's she's reverting back to her teenage self, and that that was so intentional. And so I'm I'm glad that you that you picked up on that, and I, I hope others do too. That it really is we're following this woman on this journey of self acceptance, and that's not always. clean cut and it's, it can be messy and tough. And um, yeah, I I hope viewers can understand that. I think they, I mean, I think it's going to be one of those movies where people get a little distance from the trailer and realize what it's really about. And, you know, the, you know, what is it like five things you didn't realize about happiest season pieces will start showing up next Christmas (laughs) and the world will get it. But yeah. yeah. Um, Well, and I, and, and I'm glad it's there because I think, it is the kind of movie that people are going to need in their mm-hmm. own, in their own development, in their own journey. I hate using journey, but that's what this is. That is what it. Yes, it's a process. Yeah. Yeah, and to swerve entirely off of that to Golden Arm, <laughs> yeah, because they are. I've been trying to come up with a graceful segue. There isn't one. Golden Arm is just this big, goofy, fun movie where you yeah. get to snog Eugene Cordero and and. <laughs> Run around in a series of costumes. It's That's just right. It's just so much fun. And thank you again. How does that work? <laughs> For the, did you yeah. bring anything from? I mean, given the given the pageantry of arm wrestling, uh, competitive arm wrestling, and this is right. the way that I get to the what is the influence of this movie for you? Is there right. anything that you did from Drop Dead? Did you quote anything or reference anything? I I mean I feel like with with Golden Arm our director Maureen Barucha really it was such an open dialogue with her as far as these the, these characters and like it, before every scene we would have a, a a conversation about what's happening in this scene what are we learning about these characters what's what is happening story wise how can we push it forward and and she would encourage us to get Betsy Sadar and I have known each other for many, many years, have done a lot of improv together. And so it was there's a we had this comfort with each other and Maureen encouraged us and everybody in the cast to make this our own and like uh, really have ownership over these characters in this story. And so I, I feel like with with drop dead gorgeous the those the specificity i think is the main thing that i understood from that movie at a young age that i was like oh i i i understand why specificity is funny you know i i think that it was a big lesson i got from that is uh specifics make comedy and so I think I did bring that to to Golden Arm and to like the dynamic between Melanie and Danny. It's very specific, and it it um, 
I think that that always serves a comedy when you can be specific. My thanks to Mary Holland, who you can currently see making lists and twisting wrists with Betsy Sodaro in Golden Arm, now available to rent or buy on VOD platforms across America. Thanks also to Angie Power and Laura Steen. They know what they did. You can find Mary on Twitter at Mary Hollandays, all one word, and Drop Dead Gorgeous is indeed streaming on HBO Max in the U.S. It's a little harder to find in Canada, but the DVDs are still knocking around in used bins, and we're all kind of waiting for Warner Archive to bring it out on Blu-ray anyway. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days and writing the weekly Now Streaming newsletter, to which you can subscribe at NowToronto.substack.com. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Simcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay home. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. I'll see you next time.